It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 12th. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Get the show over on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you like the show, why don't you leave me some comments or you know say something nice on iTunes so that other people could check it out. If you don't like it, you can leave comments too. That's not a you know, the end of the world either. So anyway, um, we're, we're at that point of spring training as I was thinking about today's show where, uh, you know, the, the regular season's about three weeks away and you're saying to yourself, uh, we're talking about the same thing, Harvey's velocity, Wheeler coming back, the pitcher's health, who's going to be in the bullpen. You know, the David Wright thing, I think we kind of vetted that out about a week ago. You know, he's, he's now yesterday's news. Uh, you know, Conforto is still hitting. You know, we know that that's going to be a, the end of the coming to the end of this the, the month of a decision. How are they going to handle Conforto? We really debated all that, and I think that you're starting to feel like, hey, can we get to this thing? And can we get to this regular season and start to play real games and have some real topics to discuss? Because you're getting to that point where maybe you get a little bored of this. It, this the fun of pitchers and catchers and baseball being back has worn off because it's been about a month. And then I thought, well, you have this WBC thing. Is that something every four years now to get you through maybe this monotony? And it may actually be. And I've been a WBC agnostic. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about that today. I will, by the way, I will have, before I get into this whole WBC thing, I will have Rich McLeod of MLB.com and also Baseball Perspectives join me in a little bit. Uh, he wrote a great piece about Ryan Church. There's a name, a blast from the past. And uh, I want to get his take on that. And maybe, you know, he's working for MLB.com. He's probably been watching more WBC than even I have. Maybe get his take on that. And, and that's really where I'm going because I, I got to tell you, uh, again, like I said, I'm a WBC agnostic. But I watched some of the game last night, you know, Dominican Republic and USA. And I wouldn't tell you that I'm crushed that the USA lost to the Dominican Republic, but they're getting into it. I watched the game, and, and actually, uh, when I recorded the, the segment with Rich, the game was still going on between the Dominican Republic and Colombia, and that was a great finish, including the extra innings rules that you got a chance to see with you know, the 11th inning, every inning, every half inning after the 10th. Every inning starts with first and second, nobody out. So the pitcher basically has to worm out of a jam. It gives a very high percentage chance that there'll, there'll be some kind of scoring and the games won't go that long. So it's an interesting rule that I know baseball has been mulling over. But I've been watching it, and I think the thing selfishly that I see is that some of these Mets players that are participating in WBC are standing out and doing some nice things. T.J. Rivera hitting. I know Brandon Nimmo, I believe, had a home run. You've got a chance to see Juris Familia close out some games here and hit triple digits on the radar gun. Hansel Robles as a setup guy. Um, you saw that uh, over the last couple of nights. Seth Lugo tossing five and change scoreless innings. So you you've you've seen players playing in an atmosphere that is not exhibition stepping up. I always said, and it's not quite the same now. I think if the Yankees start to get better, and maybe they could rekindle some of that '90s Subway Series magic that's been missing for a long time, you may see it again. I always felt in the 90s that although it was patently unfair that the Mets would have to play the Yankees six times and then some other teams in their division would, would uh, they were competing with, let's say, because not everybody would play the Yankees six times, even their division, 
would play somebody else, maybe Tampa, where the Mets are playing high-leverage game against the Yankees. It was always a scheduled disadvantage. However, I did feel that those games prepared the Mets and gave them a taste of big-time baseball that uh, for a couple of years there in the 90s, they were participants in the 99 and 2000 playoffs. So I always felt it was a good barometer of where this team was at and whether they could elevate their game because you don't get that many opportunities over 162 games to play in that intense, intense playoff atmosphere early in the season. And those games always were the June or July. In June or July, you're starting to really heat up. There's really no pennant race yet. So those games were a good way to get almost a kickstart to the, to the team to get into the next gear. Because those teams, especially under Bobby Valentine in 99-2000, had aspirations to win the championship. And I wonder if the WBC in some ways here in the sleepy days of March where usually it's palm trees and berms and you know four or five innings and then you have the, the benches cleared for some prospects and minor leaguers and some guys who never see the sight of a big league ballpark. I wonder if this is something that, that gives guys like Lugo a chance to, especially you know trying to compete for a roster spot, a chance to put themselves ahead of the curve of other players. It gives the team a chance to see what they have. And I think you saw that, and that's why you got to be so positive. And I hate to, to just throw positive because you know what? Who knows what's going to happen this season? There could be so many different things. There are, there are question marks on this team, especially with starting pitching and health and what have you. But even John Harper wrote in the Daily News today that the vibe around this camp is that this team knows it's pretty good. And they're not out there trying to show people they're good or tell, no, excuse me, tell people they're good. They're just going to go out there and play and win and focus on the process. And they've got a lot of guys that could step up and sub in and do a good job. You know, I don't want to see Matt Harvey not be healthy, and I certainly am not about to say that not having Matt Harvey is a good thing. Not having Matt Harvey in the rotation is a lot more damaging to the 2017 Mets than not ever having Zach Wheeler throw a pitch in the big leagues this year. I'll tell you that much. But I will say this. Gazelman and Lugo behind Syndergaard and DeGrom is not that bad. And Matt, I should say, is not that bad. It's not Matt Harvey. But who knows if Matt Harvey ever will be Matt Harvey of 2013 or 2015? We don't know. And, um, you know, Seth Lugo has a little bit of moxie. Robert Gazelman has a little bit of moxie. I mean, these are guys that, despite the fact that the record was against some weaker teams, these guys still stepped up and, and pitched some big baseball down the stretch. These are still big league teams they played where they went 27 and 13 down the stretch. So, anyway, for me, the WBC. The barometers to see how players step up. Uh, Familia obviously, you know, might have a little bit more uh, put into this because he's probably not going to see big league action till May, depending on the suspension. Which I really wonder what the hell's going on with that. And I wonder if they're just delaying that announcement because he he's participating in the WBC, and I I guess they didn't want to ruin that that participation. I mean, this is where MLB kind of talks out of both sides of their mouth. If the guy did something and you're so uh, angry about it and it's so egregious, then he shouldn't play in the WBC. But that's a whole separate uh, case, and I'm not going to get into the whole domestic violence thing because it's just going to tick people off, and that's not the point of this segment. So that, to me, is the value of the WBC. Am I becoming uh, a guy that's going to probably sit down and will I you know, really get into it? Well, the United States needs to win later today against Canada. And, and, and again, I'm trying to like figure out the rules. It's like pool play. It's just like the Olympics. I believe if they win, then it would come down to some 
because there'll be some ties, I believe. It'd be down to some uh, run differentiation. Run differentiation. I'm trying to look now at the bracket here. And again, I'm recording this at about 5:30, so things could change by the time you listen to this. But we know the Dominican Republic at 3-0, who hasn't lost in a couple of years, it looks like, uh, or a couple of tournaments since the last tournament, um, is going to move on. Now you need to see if the USA, Canada would would tie the USA. Colombia is one and two, so I guess it would come down to run differentia- differentiation, whether it would be Canada, Colombia, or the USA, to get that other spot. And then you have Puerto Rico and Italy. Venezuela, Mexico. So it looks like even though you have a losing record, you could get to the next round at Petco Park. And the next round for Pool E, which is Israel, who's been the talk of the tournament with four wins, Japan, Netherlands, Cuba. I find it hard to believe that the Israelis, as much as I know I have our Jewish brethren that are listening to this, are going to make their way out of that. Maybe they made their way out of the Korea, Chinese type, you know, Taipei type of, uh, you know, Netherlands type of uh, pool before, but I don't know. I mean, that, that'd be tough, although they've been a surprise and, and they've played well, and, and that's a great story. Look, people are into this, and I will say this. I'll leave you with this about the WBC. Is there any equivalent to this in any of the, any, any of the other sports? Like the NBA All-Star game has become a joke. I mean, it's an and one tournament, which is a shame because when I was a kid, you really, even though it was a high-scoring affair and defense wasn't necessarily part of the equation, they played a little defense and they showed something. Now it's just an N1 tournament. These guys are not interested in it. And they're talking about putting 10-point shots and 4-point shots, which is just going to create this similar type of narrative of N1 tournament. It's not going to make anything better. Nor am I suggesting to do what MLB did, which I criticize, which make it count for like home court or, or something like that. But you don't have anything like that. Sure, you have the Olympics with the NBA, with the USA team, but there's such a downside to the USA losing the Olympics that almost winning is a relief because it's like a validation of the United States being the birthplace of basketball, and this is where the best basketball is played. Although the Eastern European countries have, have certainly closed the gap. So it's not like it was in 1992 with the Dream Team, but there's competition there, and the Olympics certainly gets that going. But I almost feel like the nationalism part of that is, is not losing. And I don't feel that the United States is as into that as they used to be. The other countries are, and that's what you see with the WBC. NFL certainly doesn't have anything like that. Uh, of course, there's the Olympic hockey, uh, but even the NHL All-Star game isn't anything that, that people could get into. I mean, nothing. there's no tournament like this, and maybe there's something there. Maybe baseball has something. They're certainly doing this to grow the game. All these other countries, especially this, uh, the South American countries, the Dominican Republic, Japan, they're into it. There's no doubt. There's that nationalism that maybe doesn't exist. Because here in the USA, you've got as, probably as many people you know rooting for the Israeli team as they would for Team USA. And I think that the USA, you're more into the event than you are saying, hey – I want Team USA to win. I mean, Team USA doesn't win. You're not crushed. You, you still are happy to see a Met like Jerry's Familia or Jose Reyes play well. So it's interesting. I think the perspective is just different. But I think overall, the positive of the WBC is that it puts some guys in positions to show something in an environment that they would not be able to show in Port St. Lucie. Seth Lugo would not be able to show on that stage in, in, a, in an exhibition game. He could pitch well. 
and certainly open some eyes, but it really shows you something when you step up and you elevate your game and something that means something for your country where you know that these guys, just watching these games, these guys are really out there to win it. There's a lot of passion. And if you haven't, watch a replay of the Dominican Republic, Colombia, or watch last night's game. Watch just a 10-minute highlight. You know, go and watch some clips. Go watch a three-minute clip. This is not these guys doing it for show. And I'll even say this. Give, the, give baseball credit. Because even in their All-Star game, the silly, you know, this one counts and everything um, because of the tie, you know, the, they, they actually play a real game. I know the pitching is done a little bit different, but the, but the All-Star game is a real game. It's the only All-Star game that's real. So anytime baseball gets in an exhibition, they put on a good show. And that's the difference, in my opinion, with the other sports, where you could actually enjoy it. So anyway, we'll get some thoughts on Rich McLeod and what he thinks about the WBC. I know working over at MLB.com, he's probably seen a ton. I appreciate him joining us. Uh, he joined us earlier, and it's been a long day for him. He had a long day getting MLB.com early for some of these WBC games. Uh, we'll get into that. He wrote a good piece over at Baseball Prospectus about Ryan Church. You got a chance to catch up with him. If you remember Ryan Church, it was a big deal after the 2007 season when the Mets traded lasting millage for Church and Brian Schneider. And Church was going to be a big piece uh, in his prime years of that Mets outfield and help you know bring a little bit of offense where they they needed it, kind of a component player. And, and Church had a horrible uh, injury with a concussion after a hot start that year. His career was never the same. So he'll. he'll Talk a little bit about catching up with Ryan Church. Get his thoughts on Matt Harvey. Obviously, look, that's the big story now at Mets camp. Is Matt Harvey healthy? I don't know. I mean, I don't know because uh, the velocity is still not there. You know, you hear he's making progress. I think they're easing him into the season. And, and like I said, the only barometer, forget the radar guns and the media and all the stuff they're trying to create. The only barometer is when these guys go out there in the regular season and perform. And if I would, you know, that's what we're looking at. None of us are pitching coaches. None of us are in these guys' body. It's not about dominating now. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to throw 99 to dominate. You just have to pitch. 93, you know, Keith Hernandez says it all the time. 93, 94 is plenty. Can you pitch? Can you mix up your pitches? Can you command your pitches? Can you, can you go long into games? That's what it's going to come down to. And you're not going to learn that in March. Uh, you may not learn that early in April. You know, in the old days sometimes, I tell the old days, the 80s, 90s, you know, guys got off to – you know, not so great starts in April. That doesn't mean that they, they were having bad seasons. It means, you know, they were working themselves in sometimes. I remember David Cohn used to get off to not such great starts, and then he would always win 15 games when it's all said and done when he was with the Mets. So anyway, let's take a quick break, and when we return, you'll hear from Rich McLeod, MLB.com, uh, as well as Baseball Perspectives. I had a chance to catch up with him earlier today. And you'll hear that segment and uh, get a chance to hear his thoughts on the WBC and, and some other topics that I've been talking about here as uh, we have our March 12th edition of the uh, Talking Mets podcast and the Grapefruit League. You know, I've got another three weeks here, so I know you guys are, are, are looking at the end game here, which is the regular season, but figured, um, you know, change it up a little bit, talk a little WBC here and, and, and get, get my thoughts on that. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire, I'm probably on there. We'll be back with uh, Rich McLeod of MLB.com and Baseball Prospectus right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. 
Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets Podcast, and I have with me Rich McLeod. You can check out Rich on Twitter, at Rich McLeod. He's uh, working over at MLB.com, also writes for Baseball Perspectives about the Mets. Recently wrote a pretty interesting piece about a blast from the past, Ryan Church. Very interesting, catching up with him, and we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Rich, uh, thanks for a few minutes of your time. I know it's been a long day for you. Um, I'm assuming over at MLB.com you've been watching, if not all, but most of what the uh, WBC action has been over the last uh, 24 hours. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty crazy. These games have been pretty wild and also really, really long. <laughs> but it's been uh, it's been cool to see competitive baseball so early and guys who are super into it. It's for sure. And, you know, I've been kind of a WBC agnostic. I'm not against it. I'm not someone who's, um, I guess, up until the last couple of days been pining to turn on the TV. You know, I've been more engrossed in, in what's going on in Port St. Lucie and the Mets preparing for the season and some of the storylines there. But I got to tell you, you know, as we're recording this, I'm I'm watching the Dominican Republic in Colombia. The Dominican Republic just burst out for about five runs in the 11th inning under those new wacky extra inning rules. But seeing the passion, seeing the players into it, and that includes the USA who had a heartbreaking loss last night, you don't see this. I mean, okay, the Olympics with the NBA, but even with that, the NBA players, it's almost, they have so much more to lose when they go to the Olympics than to gain. You don't see this kind of scenario in any other sport. It's interesting. It makes me wonder, you know, maybe there is something with this tournament for the long haul. Yeah, I mean, it's really been exciting this year. I think this year has gotten off to probably the most exciting start than any other world baseball classic before it you've got team israel which had to just win the qualify qualifiers last year just to get in just four and oh they've you know they've beaten korea who is a pretty high favorite going into this tournament they just beat cuba the other night that in itself is pretty remarkable you have the netherlands which every year or at least every tournament the netherlands is always really fun to watch because they always seem to knock somebody off and they obviously they lost this morning in 11 innings thanks to that same rule that you were talking about they lost to Japan but they you know they have a bunch of interesting guys on that team they've got Profar, Antrelton Simmons, Dander Bogarts, Didi Gregorius and a bunch of other you know guys you know you have the seven foot one closer on their team you've got a bunch of guys on that team and obviously the Dominican Republic is the king of this tournament right now. I don't see how they don't win it again this year. They're just, I mean, yesterday U.S. has the five nothing lead and it's, they move past them like they were standing still. 
Yeah, Andrew Miller giving up the big home run. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the extra inning rule. I don't know what to think of it, to tell you the truth. Um, it was the first time I've really seen it was this afternoon, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're throwing this around in the minor leagues, and I think it was the Arizona Fall League, and 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 maybe in big league baseball. I don't know how I feel about this in a big league baseball game, but it certainly adds an interesting dynamic to the 11th inning going forward. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm kind of a purist in that. I don't really know how. And even John Smoltz was saying, well, what do you do? Who gets the earned run? You know, who's responsible for it? Uh, I don't know what to think of it. I'm kind of you know, mulling it over. What, what are your initial thoughts looking at that, first and second? Uh, you know, nobody out automatically, and then you know, that's, that's where each pitcher starts going forward from the 11th inning going on. Yeah, in terms of a sense of having that put in Major League Baseball, I hate it. I think that it's awful, and it's like the NHL shootout, which I also don't like. Uh, But in terms of the WBC, I don't particularly mind it, Uh, you know. And selfishly, this morning, when you're you're at the office at 5.30 in the morning, your game starts at (laughs) 6, and it's 11 o'clock, and the game is still going, you know, you don't – I didn't particularly mind that – Japan got first and second, nobody out. And, you know, what did they do? They bunted. They got the two guys over. The next guy hits a two-run single, and they hang on in the bottom of the 11th, and they win 8-6. to six. So, it's, you know, I don't know if it's a really fair perspective for me because, you know, that let me go home a little bit earlier than I could have. But in terms of Major League Baseball, which would affect me similarly, I still think that it's just too uh, gimmicky. I have with me Rich McLeod, uh, Baseball Prospectus, also MLB.com. You know, from a Mets perspective, I always think that although it's always a risk you have, and you saw with Sal Perez getting injured, that somebody could get injured. They're playing at such a high level, and, and they are. If anyone hasn't watched these games, I mean, these guys, they're, they're out there to win. They're playing at a high level. Uh, it's always good, you know, in the old days with the Subway Series to get almost like that playoff type of atmosphere, almost a warm-up for what will come later in the year. And you've seen a number of Mets rise up to the occasion. Seth Lugo had a great outing. Uh, Jerry's Familia is hitting triple digits. I know there's been some concerns in the media with him. Uh, you know, How will he recover after blowing some saves both in 15 and then last year in the playing game? TJ Rivera's had a pretty good uh, WBC. I know Ty Kelly's in there as well. Uh, Hansa Robles, you know, who's always shaky, got, a, you know, got some help today. <laughs> But, um, you know, it, it does give you a, a feel of these guys in a big spot. And as, uh, if you're on the Mets side of things, you've got to feel good. All their players seem to be stepping up, and, and it gives them some things to think about, especially with, uh, with Lugo in the fifth spot in the rotation. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do think that at the end of the day that Gizelman is going to take that fifth spot, at least to start the year. But I think that Lugo's start the other night uh, was really – big for him and for the team. I know it's just one exhibition start, but it's, you know, he pitched into the fifth, I believe. And, you know, in the classic, he pitched extremely well. Don't think he gave up any runs, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I think that there's really a chance for him to make, you know, the team out of opening day in the bullpen, which the bullpen is going to need help as it is because without Familia, the bullpen just looks that much shorter, and to have somebody in there like a Lugo, uh, I think would really help things out. And obviously, you know, having guys like T.J. Rivera, you know, hit 
quote unquote walk off home runs. You know, he hit the walk off home run in a mercy rule game. So it's a little bit different, but to see him Homer was good and Ty Kelly's played pretty well for Team Israel, although he's not going to make the team barring a bunch of injuries, you would think. But yeah, you know, Jose Reyes had a good game the other night for the Dominican Republic. You know, I think it's uh you know, you don't want to see anybody get hurt out there. You know, I prefer that certain guys don't play in the WBC selfishly, but uh, it is nice to see them playing well and you can't fault anyone from wanting to uh, play for their country. And and that brings up an interesting point with Team USA, who may get eliminated if they don't win later today. They seem to have a good lineup, but I was just looking at Bob Clappish tweeting out, imagine if you had a Kershaw or a Syndergaard or a Bumgarner type, uh, you know, if those teams would allow all those pitchers to go. And it's Look, Syndergaard said it. I'm here to get ready for the season, and and you're right. You know, hard to justify when you're paying millions of dollars to put a pitcher at risk. I wonder if there's a happy medium. I know there's a pitch count. Is there a way to manage this um, so the Team USA could be a little bit more competitive? Because I mean, I look at I'm, I'm here on Wikipedia looking at the the history of this tournament. You know, baseball's America's game, and Japan, Dominican Republic, South Korea has won a medal. Cuba, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, no Team USA, and it's not like the USA teams are bad. It just looks like they're just they're missing a little bit in terms of you know that extra uh, roster uh, uh, depth maybe or that extra roster star space that you would have uh, versus some of the other teams, especially those from the Dominican Republic and Japan. Yeah, I mean it, you know it would be nice to have you know guys like Kershaw and you know Scherzer was supposed to pitch in the WBC before he had the knuckle issue, and you know guys like that pitching the World Baseball Classic. But I honestly think that. You know, if you had a major league baseball team with a rotation that featured, you know, Chris Archer, Marcus Stroman, Danny Duffy, and Drew Smiley, you'd be pretty excited about that rotation. And that's what Team USA has right now. And I, so I don't really think that that's an excuse. And if you look at all these other teams in the World Baseball Classic, there's seemingly six, seven runs a game. You know, there hasn't really been any pitching. Um, you know, and on paper, the U.S. lineup should be pretty formidable. You've got guys like, you know, Daniel Murphy and Nolan Arenado and Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford and Adam Jones and all these guys on that team that should, you know, rake. And in the first game, it was a struggle for them just to score the three runs that they did. They left a lot of guys in scoring position. They swing at a lot of first pitches out of the zone. I don't know if it's over anxiousness or nerves or whatever or if they just think that they can you know they're major league baseball players and they can hit these guys who don't play major league baseball and you know maybe they take that for granted i'm not sure but i i think that roster wise they should be good enough to at least make a deep run in this competition but for whatever reason every single year they just can't yeah no that that is uh that is true let's see what happens later tonight i have with me rich mcleod of baseball prospectus also mlb.com uh, let's move over to the Mets. Um, you know, it has been an uh, you know not an odd spring, but it's been a spring where the story has been the pitchers. You know, Syndergaard and, and Degrom uh, seem to be heading in the right direction. We'll see with Zach Wheeler, who just made his first you know on mound appearance in two years, and then the real story is Matt Harvey. And you know, I'm not worried about Matt Harvey. I think you know, and, and who knows? You know, because sometimes you don't know how things are reported with injuries and 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 what a player really means versus you know what what what's being seen uh, on the surface. But 
for Matt Harvey, it looks like he's working his way into shape. What do you feel about him? Because he's going to be a big part of this rotation right now. His velocity is still down. It's hard to make out where he is because, you know, for the most part, everybody's so used to bad news with uh, Matt Harvey when it comes to health. What are your What are your feelings after seeing a couple of his starts so far this spring? Hey, you know, I wasn't really concerned after the first start at the spring training start. Guys get lit up literally all the time. It was the first time he had, you know, pitched in a game since, what was it, July of last year. So I thought it was a little overblown. Uh, they gave up four runs in two innings his last time out, or his first time out. And his last time out, he pitched pretty well. Uh, he only gave up the one home run. And, yeah, I, you know, if, obviously a lot depends on Matt Harvey's health and how he's going to recover from this surgery. So, you know, it, you know, saying, uh, looking at his health, you know, that's a big if, and I get that. But I do think that if he is healthy, that we're going to see something close to, if not better than 2015 Matt Harvey when he was pitching off Tommy John surgery and had a sub-3 ARA and was a really big part of that Met team contending. With me, Rich McLeod, Baseball Prospectus, uh, MLB.com. Has anything surprised you this spring with the Mets? Anything that you've been looking at? What are some of the storylines for you that you've been watching uh, outside of what we've been talking about, which is the pitcher's health and, and some of the guys over there in the WBC? I'd have to say Travis Darnot. He's changed his swing. He got rid of that bat rap that everyone was talking about. He's been working with you know, the new third base coach, Glenn Sherlock, who's you know former catching coach. Uh, he's been working with him all off season, and he's really been hitting the ball well. And you know, obviously, you don't take spring training numbers too much into account. But when the you know when the guy's got a quarter of the amount of extra base hits he had all his last regular season, you know, in the first couple of weeks of spring training, like you know, that's something to notice, especially when he's making changes to his swing. So I think the way Travis Darno has looked at the play has been really eye-opening and exciting. And if he can give the Mets you know, anything this year, I think that that's a huge plus because he was such a non-factor at the plate last year. I think he only had 15 RBIs, almost no extra base hits. So if he can hit more like he did in 2015 before he went on the DL and obviously can stay healthy, I think that'd be a huge plus. And obviously Michael Conforto has looked really, really good. And I think he's just going to force the Mets hand and make sure that he is playing somewhere on that field uh, semi-regularly this season. You're okay with him doing two, three days a week. It's going to be it's going to be interesting how they go because when you listen to Sandy Alderson earlier this spring, if he's not playing every day, you got the feeling he was ticketed for Vegas. With Duda seemingly healthy, Bruce playing well, doesn't look like he's going anywhere. It'll be real interesting how they play this, and it's going to be really up to Terry Collins to keep everybody fresh and and really maneuver these guys in and out of the lineup. It's not going to be an easy task. It's a good problem to have, but it's not going to be easy. Yeah, and honestly, I'm, I'm not sure where exactly you put him, but you just at this point, I just think you've got to get him at bats. He's got to play games. He's looked really good. You know, he's still young. You know, he's shown that he can do it in the major league level. He's hitting the playoffs. I just think that some some way, somehow, the Mets have to fit him into that lineup, whether it's you know, I don't think it's a good idea to have him starting games in center field, but they did it a couple times last year. 
if that's the way they have to do it, then okay. You know, I still think think it's possible that they could move Bruce down the line, you know, but if he's obviously if he's performing, then they wouldn't move him. But I don't know. I just, I can't see them sending him down to AAA after what he's been doing this spring. I just think that he's shown that he deserves to play pretty regularly for this team, whether where he's going to do that, I'm not sure. Before I let you go, I want to chat with you quickly about um, your article at Baseball Perspectives. You know, the name Ryan Church, when I saw that piece, it's a guy that got off to such a great start in 2008. We all know about the concussions he had and the Mets putting him on the plane to Colorado, and then he came back at a couple of home runs against the Dodgers. And I still remember everybody saying on national TV, the guy looked like his, his mind was somewhere else. Uh, I know concussion protocol has been a topic since then, and the baseball has done things, some, a lot of things differently, you know, almost 10 years later. Uh, what made you reach out to Ryan Church? Because he gets forgotten about how good he was those first two months, how integral he was to that lineup. They gave up a top prospect for him, and, um, and he just disappeared almost. And now we get some answers as to why he sort of disappeared and his career ended very early. Uh, what brought up talking to Ryan Church and, and, and chat a little bit about your experience with him? Yeah, you know, when the Mets traded for Ryan Church, I was, I think, 17 years old. I was just starting college when they, you know, eventually collapsed in 2008 down the stretch. And so I remember watching Ryan Church make the last out at uh, Shea Stadium on a ball that I think everybody thought was a home run. Uh, He was one of my favorite players that year. Uh, you know, he hit the huge grand slam a few weeks earlier against the Brewers when it looked like the Mets had kind of buried the Brewers. And, of course, as we remember, CC Sabathia basically pitched every other day, pitched a shutout, and, you know, the Mets missed out in the playoffs by a game for two, the second straight year. Uh, and, you know, Church, for whatever reason, you know, he wasn't the same. In 2009, he gets traded for Frank Hoare. And then about a year later, you he's completely off the map. And you, I never heard about him anywhere again. I don't even think it's, I don't even think he officially ever announced his retirement. It just kind of seemed like he disappeared. And as, you know, as just a Met fan, I, for years, I have been wondering, you know, what happened? Cause it just, you know, he retired when he was, I think 32 years old and it just happened really, really fast. And I, for years I've been wondering and, was trying to track him down and trying to figure out what happened. And I was fortunate enough to get in contact with him a couple of months ago. And, uh, you know, he hadn't spoken publicly in years and uh, I was able to convince him to do it and share a story with me. And you know, I appreciated his honesty. He completely admits that the back concussion against the Braves was what caused his career to end within a year and a half later. Uh, as you know, if you read the piece, you'll see that he says he's never even seen the video of the concussion, bec- and he has no, uh, still to this day, almost a decade later, has no incentive to watch it because he says he doesn't want to see the moment that his career basically ended, and you know he doesn't remember it, and you know he wouldn't come out and he didn't come out and overtly blame the Mets. He seemed pretty. Uh, he he didn't seem very angry towards the Mets. Uh, just talked more about baseball as a whole in that sense, and how back then it just 
wasn't viewed at like it is now, and they've made the changes, but unfortunately it was too late for him. The only thing he really said about the Mets when I asked him, you know, what do you wish the team did different, the only thing he did say was he should have never been put on that plane two days later from Atlanta to Colorado. And, uh, you know, for over a year, he still had the same concussion symptoms every single day. He just could never get out of it, and he admits that it completely ruined his career. Did um, did it take a lot of convincing to get him to talk about what clearly is a difficult time in his, in his life? And also, did he, did he mention, is he okay now? I mean, does he still have concussion syndromes all these years later? I mean, did he, did he share anything else with you? Yeah, I, you know, it wasn't as hard to convince him as I thought it might be, especially for someone who has kind of been off the map for so long. Uh, so I was really impressed with, you know, how open and honest he was with me. And I did ask, you know, I asked him a, a lot of questions when we got to speak. And, um, yeah, one of the questions was, you know, I did ask him if he still uh, suffers from concussion symptoms today. He did say he does not, but it, you know, he does think differently. I think one of the quotes that I did use in there was that, uh, you know, he's he's been a different, he's a different person since the concussion. He's never been the same, and he doesn't even watch Major League Baseball anymore. He says the only baseball he ever watches is his son's Little League games. So it kind of changed him in, in that mind. And, you know, he says he would like to one day uh, potentially coach in some way in the Major Leagues. But, you know, for now... Uh, he's been kind of wary of watching baseball, and I think it's because, you know, it does remind him of how he got the raw end of the deal. And, you know, while he was still pretty positive reflecting on his career, even though, you know, there was a lot of setbacks, there's a lot of bad moments, uh, he does clearly seem to not uh, particularly enjoy watching baseball, at least right now. It's interesting, one last thing on that topic. That trade didn't really work out for both sides. The Mets, of course, lost Church uh, to the injury. Brian Schneider, um, I don't know, was a decent catch-and-throw guy, but you know, he, he, he obviously was, was not the main cog in that deal. And then last thing's Millage, who was a top Mets prospect at one point, almost was traded for Manny Ramirez. Uh, that was who the, the Nationals were getting back. He wound up you know, never really making it in, in big league baseball. I think he's in Japan now. I haven't really followed him in a couple of years, but it's interesting that that trade really fizzled for both sides. And both sides, and if you remember, it was kind of controversial because a lot of, especially for fans, they didn't want to see Millage go. They felt he was a far better option in the outfield than Church would be. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say looking back overall, neither of the teams won. But you know, for those first couple months at least, the Mets were the clear winner of that trade. Church was. You know, I think part of the reason that I liked him so much as a fan and that I remembered him for so many years afterwards was, you know, just how hot he was to start that season. He was on a team that had, you know, David Wright, Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, Jose Reyes, all these guys, you know, star power, you know, Johan Santana and Pedro Martinez in the rotation. Uh, Ryan Church was one of the most integral parts of that team. You know, he had an OPS over 900 for the first two months. He, you know, he's hitting home runs. He was hitting doubles. He was knocking guys in. He was hitting for average. He was, he was walking. And, you know, I didn't actually get to mention this in the article anywhere just because it didn't fit, but he had a cannon for an arm in right field. You know, the only 
guy who was better at that time, at least that I thought was Jeff Frank Hoare, who he's obviously wound up being traded for later uh, the next year. Uh, so, you know, overall, I would, you know, there's no, no winner to the trade, but I do think that, uh, I think that the Mets saw more benefits, at least in a small sample, than the Nationals did overall. So what do you got coming out at uh, Baseball Perspectives? Anything else you want to tease? Any other projects you're working on? Obviously, you can check you out on Twitter, at Rich McLeod. What, what else do you got going on? You know, I'm, I'm, it took a while for me to put this uh, church story together, so I'm still kind of mauling other ideas. I don't have anything particularly in the works right now, but as spring training moves forward, I'll, something will catch my eye, and, you know, I'll eventually go back to writing about whatever that is. But for now, I think I'm going to take, take a little bit of time to just sit back and watch baseball and work on my uh, MLB job. Well, Rich, I know it's been a long day for you. Thanks for a few minutes. Let's do it again and uh, be well, and, and, and thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's Rich McLeod. You can check him out on Twitter, at Rich McLeod. Some interesting stuff. So. Wanted to get a feel if uh, I was off base in my monologue about the WBC. It seems like uh, Rich had you know a lot of the same ideas that I had. And obviously, as I'm recording this, uh, the Dominican Republic just wrapped up their win over the uh, over the Colombia team. And, and Jerry's Familia gets out of a first and second, no one out because even though they were up quite a bit, it was ten to three, I believe. He still inherits first and second, nobody out, and Familia gets out of it without giving up a run. So it's been a good preseason for Familia. Maybe an opportunity for him to get his mind off of the looming suspension, get some of the bad vibe from the how the playing game in the end of last year went. So, uh, you know, you got to feel good. Like I said in the opening, you got to feel good if you're a Mets fan watching some of these Mets perform on a stage that, look, and I said this, and you know, maybe you don't listening to this and maybe us as Americans don't get into it. These guys are into it. The, you know, the Dominican team was fired up about this win. You can tell, and they are all into this. Uh, into this tournament, and these are these are exhibition games because they don't count towards anything in the Major League Baseball regular season. But these players are not playing this as if it's half half speed. They're going out, and, and hopefully they stay healthy. Hopefully it has a positive effect on their teams as they go back to camp after the next week or so. And it'll be interesting to see. So anyway, I thought that that was a, an interesting way to look at things in the middle of spring here, where now we're starting ahead. As I said earlier, we're starting ahead towards that point where you're starting to see the regular season. And this is becoming monotonous, and you're ready for real baseball. You're ready to get these rosters settled, and you're ready for real baseball. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. I want to thank Rich McLeod. Check out Rich on Twitter, at Rich McLeod. And you can check him out at Baseball Prospectus, where he uh, covers the Mets. Of course, you can check me out at MetsMarsOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, And you can get this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. So... Go out there, let me know if there's one I'm not on, and I'll get there. Hey, thanks, everybody. Appreciate the time today. Have a great rest of the Sunday. I'll see you next week.